On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about cryptocurrency because there was big news in the digital money world this week. We're going to explain what it's all about. And for those who don't know anything about what we're talking about, stick around. You'll learn something, I hope. We're also going to talk about Hamilton's bid potentially for a Commonwealth Games. Was 2030, then 2026, then maybe 2027, and now back to 2030. Are we really going to bid? Are we going to get it? Why 2030? We'll answer all those things. And the CFL has apparently been turned down for an interest-free loan from the government. What does this mean and how is it possible with all the money that the government is promising to throw around over the next few weeks in the budget that a few million dollars, not I mean, it's a million, few million bucks, but it's still tiny in the grand scheme of things. How could they not get it? We'll talk about all that. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. You probably, I, I'm guessing you have at least heard of Bitcoin. You've probably heard of cryptocurrency. These are words that some people know exactly what it all means and it's second language to them. Others have no idea and I'm now talking Latin or something. Well, today a cryptocurrency called Coinbase went public and this was a big deal because apparently it was the first cryptocurrency to be traded on the stock market. And it didn't just go public. In its first few hours, on the stock market, its value shot up to a hundred billion dollars, which almost immediately within minutes, it became one of the most valuable companies in the world. Now, this obviously does not happen unless an awful lot of people think this is a valid a, a form of currency that is going to be widespread and people are going to use it going forward. But again, there are many people over the age of probably 25 who are still trying to wrap their heads around what it is that we are talking about, about this whole concept of cryptocurrency, digital money. So let us bring in a person who I guarantee you can explain this because he can explain anything when it comes to economics. His name is Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. We love having him on. Marvin, thanks for doing this today. Glad to be with you. So, Professor, care to take a stab at explaining the concept of cryptocurrency? Well, I'm, I'm going to do that for you, but I, I hate to do this to the host, the all-knowing, the omniscient host. Uh-oh. You, you are just a little off. Uh-oh. Coin, Coinbase is not a cryptocurrency, and I'll explain what that is. But let's go back to what is a cryptocurrency. So just take, get rid of the word cryptocurrency. You understand currency. Normally, a currency is issued by a government of a country, and it's a way to do trading so that we can have a common language around prices. It's the Canadian bank, excuse me, it's the Bank of Canada that issues the Canadian currency, and they issue it normally in printed form in money or minted form in coins. So a cryptocurrency is a currency that does not exist in any physical way. There are no uh, minted coins. There is no printed money. It exists only as ones and dots in the digital universe that we know. And the other thing about a cryptocurrency, as opposed to a digital currency, is that it's not issued by any government. So uh, our Bank of Canada, along with the Federal Reserve Board, have been looking at moving the Canadian dollar or the American dollar totally into the digital realm and stop printing money and stop minting coins perhaps as soon as the year 2030. That would be a digital currency. It's not a cryptocurrency until the person issuing it is not uh, a national entity like a, a, a government or a country. So that's what a cryptocurrency is. The ones that you most are familiar with, of course, is Bitcoin. That's the dominant player out there. And that $100 billion you talked about 
Bitcoin makes that just seem like a Trump change. There's a second one that's very popular out there called Ether, and there's a third that's in a bit of trouble. There's actually a big court case going on about it. It's called Ripple. Now, those are currencies. Now, what is Coinbase? Well, let's suppose you own some of this currency. Where do you store it? Where do you keep it? Well, you need a digital banking place, and that's what Coinbase is. It is basically a digital wallet. It's a place that allows you to buy and sell and store safely and securely your digital currency. And this digital marketplace, Coinbase, uh, today was, was listed on the stock exchange. It had been owned privately before, but to get more people involved, shares in the company went public today. Um, and when they debuted, they had been valued at $250 a share. They shot up to almost $425 a share in about the first 20 minutes or so of trading. And then reality took hold, and by the end of the day, they fell all the way down to $328 a share. So if you got in early, you could have made a lot of money in a short period of time. But if you bought it and held on to it, you actually probably lost money by the time the day is over. But it's a sign that just like you could buy shares of Bank of Montreal or CIBC, the bank that tries to store cryptocurrency is also worth, is worth money, just like the cryptocurrency itself. And I do thank you for correcting the all-knowing host who clearly whiffed on this one, but I thank you for, uh, for making it clear to everybody, including me. Um, now, let's get back to the idea of cryptocurrency now that my mea culpa is out of the way. Yep. Uh, the idea of the cryptocurrency, what makes this different and what I think causes some people to be a little spooked by this is that, as you say, regular currency is backed by a government or backed by a national bank or backed by whatever. This right. is seemingly valuable because someone has said it's valuable and other people have said, okay, we'll accept that it's valuable. But there's no there there except for the agreement that it's valuable. Yeah, you're, no, you're absolutely right on this. It's one of the reasons why I, I've stayed away from it. Now, why, why do people even bother, bother to own cryptocurrency, in particular Bitcoin? There are two features about it that kind of stand out. Um, the first is that because it's not owned by any one government, the purchases out there in the world at large remain fairly anonymous. So people who've been attracted to this as a currency, currency meaning to, you know, I'm actually going to go out and buy things with it, would be somebody who has a lot of money but doesn't really want the government to pay attention how I'm spending it. Unfortunately, that would be people like drug dealers or the mafia, organized crime, or just a terribly wealthy individual who wants to be able to buy that yacht or buy that Rolls Royce and not have the government following them. So I can take my money in one part of the world, create bitcoins there, and then use those bitcoins in other parts of the world, and the government doesn't watch me. The other thing about this is interesting is that uh, all of these coin services, whether it's Bitcoin or Ether or, or Ripple, they have a, an accounting system behind them called blockchain. I know this is full of language, blockchain. But what blockchain is is a way to make sure that you're getting real legitimate coins as opposed to someone just creating them on their computer and saying, oh, here's a Bitcoin for you. I'll sell it to you for $60,000 easily. Uh, and this blockchain, in theory, because of the way of the security is, could actually make accounting a thing of the past. And what I mean by that is today, every large company, uh, even public companies like McMaster University or the hospitals, use uh, accountants who audit their books and make a statement saying, yes, we think these books fairly represent the transactions of the last year. 
Well, with blockchain in place, they wouldn't need to do that. You could actually have this all verified by blockchain. It could dramatically change the accounting world. There is just one problem, the uh, overhead to run blockchain. All of the transactions and the computer blips and the energy you need to run all of this background it makes it too expensive. So I, I serve on audit committees for some organizations. I keep asking nice people like KPMG, are you worried? Are you going out of business any day soon? And they say, no one's adopting it because the cost of adoption does not offset the accuracy of the approach. So I've often joked that if they could come up with a blockchain light, yes, this would make the accounting firms dangerous, but blockchain light might not be as secure. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Part of the reason why when we get talking about this, I do get a little nervous. Maybe it's just me having old man syndrome where I, you know, I, I'm, I don't understand everything. So I get nervous about it. But we have seen in recent years, hackers hack into all kinds of companies that said they had an absolutely secure system. There's no way our system could possibly be hacked. We've had credit card companies hacked and Facebook was just hacked and everything else. There, It seems to me impossible to believe that these cryptocurrency companies or Coinbase or whatever can guarantee us that if we have digital money, that this could not be hacked. Yeah, you have every right to say those things because uh, they have not been as secure as you thought they would so let me come at this in a couple of ways if I can. First, how do I know the Canadian dollar is worth what it says? They say it's worth about 80 cents U.S. How do I know that? Well, every day there are more than uh, you know 100 million transactions with Canadian currency where people are buying it and selling it across the world. And therefore, I, I have great confidence if 100 million transactions tell me it's worth 80 cents U.S., that it is worth 80 cents U.S., the problem is with these cryptocurrencies is that most of the time they are not being used to pay for transactions. No one's going into Starbucks and using cryptocurrency. Nobody's filling up their tank and using cryptocurrency. Most people who buy cryptocurrency treat it like gold. They buy it and then they hold on to it because they want to make some money. So they see it like, like owning a bar of gold or uh, some silver coins or something like that. Therefore, it's thinly traded. As soon as something is thinly traded, it can be susceptible manipulation. What does that mean? Well, that means, you know, I own some Bitcoin and you own some Bitcoin. We'd like to see the price go up. So I sell it to you and then you sell it back to me. And because we're the most active traders, we start driving the price of it up. Then other people get excited. It's kind of like what we saw with that Reddit and um, uh, GameStop here a few weeks ago. We could we can maybe make things happen. So there's one problem. The other problem you mentioned, which is people uh, basically... Um, uh, being artificial or fake fake coins, selling you fake coins. Uh, now, it's not happened to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the granddaddy of all of this. But there are something like 80 cryptocurrencies out there in the world, and at least uh, 10 to 15 of them have had these kinds of scandals where somebody either was peddling fake coins or people who were supposedly mining the store. There was a back end. Somebody got in there. Someone cleaned out an account. Uh, and so on and so forth, as secure as they thought they were, they haven't proven to be. And that's the biggest reason why you don't have a digital version of the Canadian dollar or the U.S. dollar, is that the governments are saying, if we're going to move this way, if in the future there's going to be no printed money or minted money, security is absolutely critical, and they haven't got to a point where they feel it's secure enough for the Canadian dollar or the U.S. dollar, yet there it is, it's secure enough for Bitcoin. So you have every reason to feel that way. 
And one other thing that I wonder about is, was there not three or four years ago, a Bitcoin, I don't know if, I don't know if crash is the right word, but I mean, it, it plummeted <laughs> in value and, 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 you know, I mean, we know that the, the dollar, the Canadian dollar with, if we suddenly had raging inflation, we could see the value of the dollar go way, way down and crash essentially. But I mean, this has happened already. We've seen it within the last number of years that this happened. Could it not happen again? Yes. The short answer is yes, and I was laughing when you called it a crash, because that is what it is. It's a crash. It's a very, Bitcoin is a very volatile currency. We've seen at least six different occasions in the last five years where overnight it lost 80% of its value. Now, why investors still gravitate towards it, it's like anything when you look back. If I had bought it here and then sold it there, look at all the money I would make. Nobody ever turns it around and said, but if I bought it here and sold it there, I lose 80% of the value. They all think they know when the crash is coming and they'd get out ahead of time. It's the same thing with gold. We've seen gold prices go up. We've seen silver prices go up and then suddenly reverse themselves and come down. Uh, the difference, again, is we buy a lot of gold and use a lot of gold. We buy a lot of silver. We use a lot of silver. Bitcoin, most people just buy and hold it. So you're absolutely right. Now, this week, uh, Bitcoin has crossed $60,000 a coin. When this year debuted, Bitcoin was trading at around 20000 U.S. dollars a coin. My God, it's gone up 200% in the last three and a half months. So like a house. You, can you can imagine people saying, let's jump on that bandwagon. But I remind yeah. them. If it could go up that fast, it couldn't come down that fast, too. Uh, absolutely. We have 15 seconds left. And so the last thing, do you see a day coming, though, when people will either on their phone or with a card, probably with their phone, go into a Starbucks or a Tim Hortons and be using Bitcoin as a everyday currency? No. I see a day where we're going to be doing this with Canadian dollars and U.S. dollars, but that will be the digital form. So in the future, already more than half of our transactions, I think it's 75% of our transactions, are done using debit cards and credit cards. That's kind of a digital form of the Canadian dollar, and I just see cash being phased out by the end of this decade. So get used to using digital currencies. I'm not sure they're going to be cryptocurrencies in the future. Marvin Ryder from the Negroot School of Business. Thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it, as always. Glad, glad to be with you. You can pay me in, in cryptocurrency. Uh, I will, if I could ever afford one coin. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Some time ago, uh, you'll remember, a group in Hamilton announced that it was going to be pushing to get the 2030 Commonwealth Games. That would be the Centennial Games, because this city, of course, hosted the British Empire Games in 1930, now the Commonwealth Games. And then things started to get a little strange, I guess. First, the Commonwealth Games people suggested we go after 2026, not 2030, but 2026, in part because it seemed nobody else was really wanting those games or interested. And if we had gone for those games, we probably or certainly would have got them. Trouble was, the World Cup of Soccer, the huge World Cup of Soccer, is going to be in Canada that same summer. And the government, the provincial government especially, but maybe federal as well, did not want to fund two competing massive events that could possibly cannibalize each other or possibly take away from each other or just two big events to bite into the budget that same year. So it suggested Hamilton maybe put in a bid or suggest a 2027 games go off cycle by a year for the Commonwealth Games. Well, that was looked into, but again, the Commonwealth Games people seemingly said, no thanks, we'll look elsewhere. So now we learn today that Hamilton's possible bid for the Commonwealth Games is going to again be for 2030, back where we started. 
Let me bring in PJ Mercanti. He is the president of the Hamilton 100 group, the group that is behind this bid. Mr. Mercanti, thanks for doing this today. Very much appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Scott. Thank you for having me. Was that a reasonably accurate timeline of how things have gone? Absolutely, and and no doubt the uh, the second wave and, and now more more recent wave of the pandemic uh, kind of got in the way of a lot of the momentum that was being built, uh, and and you know affected the the efficiency and speed of some government responses at the province. So so you're you're you captured you know the spirit of what has happened uh, very well, uh, and so kudos for that. And and yeah, we're we're excited. To, to now refocus on our 2030 bids. You know, I think it's safe to say that we never formally pivoted off of 2030. While we did explore 2026, we never had the official green lights go from the feds, uh, the province, or the municipality. Uh, and so now that we have gotten the indication from the provincial government that they will not support a 2026 games, it's now... Uh, you know, refocusing all of our efforts on 2030. One of the main selling points of the 2026 games, we've had, <clears throat> excuse me, we've had Mr. Fraporti on here a number of times talking about this. One of the main things that he has continually pointed out was this was going to be a a stimulus to help pull us out of the wake of COVID to regenerate, rejuvenate the economy. What will be the selling feature of a 2030 games then? Because presumably we will have been out of COVID by then and we're not going to be in the same straits. For sure. So we've done, we did a lot of work last year in the exploration for 2026. And, and what we, I guess, a big selling point for the pivot back to 2030 is we essentially want to take the best of what we did for our 2026 bid efforts, uh, the best of what we did for our 2030 bid efforts, and essentially marry them to, to be the, the renewed 2030, 2030 uh, hosting plan. And, and, and with that, it'll mean a more affordable games. It'll still mean that we will have a catalyst for economic regeneration and social impact. We've just got a bit more time and runway to, to get the plans in place. Uh, you know, there are elements of the 26 plan that I think are still very strong that are worth exploring the regionalized sporting program and, you know, utilizing venues in the Niagara region as an example in Burlington. Uh, and, and so I, I think that we could still bring a lot of the great attributes of 2026 for 2030 and most notably that of affordable housing. You know, that was a, a big part, a big selling feature for our 2026 plan. And we have every intention of, of making sure that that is still a key foundational pillar of the 2030 plan. You know, we're proud of the the work that we did and the partnership we created with Indwell, uh, the alliances we were starting to develop with City Housing Hamilton. And so so we still think that this can be a massive um, positive uh, uh, event for the for the city and, and really stimulating some economic regeneration and and providing social impact benefits for the community. The 2026 bid, though, when it came back, when it was redone a little bit, uh, it was scaled down to deal with the realities of the fact of where we we are in COVID now. Does going back to pushing for 2030 change the the scope and the scale and make it back to being a little bigger? Uh, Yes, it it certainly does. And, and, you know, and this is where there will be a conversation with the, the, you know, all, all the levels of government's as it relates to that sport program, but there, you know, the, the ultimate sport program needs to include 16 core sports, f- 
five optional sports. Uh, and so, you know, so it will be a, a slightly uh, bigger games, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be the exact same venue plan, obviously, as our 2030 bid, which was um, substantial in the form of the capital investments. Uh, the 26 was a bit more modest and right-sized, I'd like to say, uh, and, and strategic with the investments uh, in capital, which would ultimately, you know, primarily be in the city of Hamilton. Uh, and so, so yeah, while it would be a, a slightly bigger bid than the 2026, it doesn't necessarily need to be as big as the 2030 budget and forecast that we were looking at. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the things that a lot of people in town have really had a hard time wrapping their head around, including I think a lot of city councillors from what I keep hearing, is not knowing exactly what the cost of a games is going to be. And not just the cost of the infrastructure, but all the costs, security and infrastructure and everything else that goes with this. How, how quickly, how soon could we get a bottom line figure to know what this would cost us? Well, we've, we've got a general idea of this, the order of magnitude, uh, you know, in terms of what the general range would be. You know, you're, you're talking about a uh, 1 to 1.1, 1.2 billion dollar investment in, in total that includes capital and operating. Uh, but this is where there's an opportunity for all of the different parties to, to look at innovative solutions on how to, how to, you know, reduce that number, how to, how to right size it. So, so we wanted to, uh, engage with the city and, and other levels of government on the 26 plan to explore, uh, different solutions. Like we had different, to give you an example, Scott, we had, you know, various options for certain sports in either new facilities or just renovating uh, you know, uh, an existing facility. So, so we didn't have that opportunity to engage with council uh, as it relates to, you know, to their thoughts of, of, uh, of what's important. So, so, you know, so we're hopeful that for the 2030, uh, you know, focus, we'll be able to do that. Um, but, but there, you know, I think it's safe to say that whatever we do uh, and wherever we land, that, the same uh, core principle of trying to minimize the impact on uh, on the taxpayer, that's going to be a focus of ours. Uh, and to the degree that we could leverage private sector, institutional investment, other municipalities, local sporting organizations, uh, exploring things like naming rights at the various buildings, all of that ultimately uh, ensures that Hamilton taxpayers are not impacted by hosting these games. Uh, so, so we still intend to keep that philosophy at, at the, you know, as part of our 2030 uh, repivot, uh, so that that way this is a very uh, economical and and you know a, that there's a strong return on any investment that the city does make. But uh, but I think it's it's safe to say that we'll have a you know a lot of runway to to give council all of the answers that they're looking for. That you know, we'll make sure that they're a part of that process. Uh, you know, with the other levels of government right from the beginning. So we're you know we're we're very very excited about now looking at this opportunity with a, with a you know fresh uh, set of eyes. Uh, you know, having the experience of the 26 um, you know uh, pursuits uh, behind us and under our belt. I think we're amazingly positioned to go back uh, to the 2030 bid and, and really make it a winner in every way that we possibly can. 
You mentioned taxpayers. Let's go there for a second because to, to be very blunt, I mean, I have not heard an overwhelming groundswell of excitement about the idea of a Commonwealth Games. And I don't know if that's just because we're all stuck in our homes right now and we're all cranky or if it's something about the Commonwealth Games or if I'm just misreading. But I'm wondering, is part of what you are going to have to do when you bring this, is part of it a sales pitch to the people of Hamilton almost to tell them why, even even maybe more than you've been doing to tell them this is why you really need to have these games? Well, more than that, I think it's it's an, an amazing opportunity to engage with the community about what they'd like to see these games deliver for them. So, so I think there's a, a really, really ripe opportunity to 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 you know it, reinvent what do these games look like and what could they mean for the city of Hamilton. So, so we would certainly you know get excited about the idea of engaging with the you know the, the councillors, their local constituency office offices and. And, and really, uh, you know, engaging with as many stakeholders in the community as possible to, to, to make sure that we uh, get this bid right uh, and, and, and really listen to the needs of the citizens, you know, folks in the sport community, folks in, in, in disadvantaged communities. We want to make sure that we hear from everybody and really tailor this uh, pivot back to 2030 to ensure that we cover the biggest needs of the community and and one of the things that's you know that's um you know obviously we've been quiet for the last many months as we've been awaiting a response from the from the province you know there has been a you know a global pandemic that also got in the way of a lot of the momentum but many of the things that uh, are needs of the city transportation affordable housing uh social impact health and wellness these are all part of the commonwealth games plan so i think once the folks in hamilton have an opportunity to really uh, listen and understand what we're trying to do. They'll get excited about it. And once we provide that forum for people to give their feedback, um, I think that'll really change the dynamic immensely. And I also think that there will be a groundswell of excitement on focusing back on the 2030 Games. Obviously, there's a, there's a romantic narrative uh, connected to us hosting the 100th anniversary Games. Uh, and so I think that once everybody understands the tremendous social impact, the tremendous economic impact, um, and 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 you know how this can really really uh, stimulate foreign direct investment uh, into the community. How it can really help Hamilton become a sport tourism destination 52 weeks of the year once we have refreshed facilities. I think once we're able to share the the, the vision, the, the refreshed vision, that the city will get behind it uh, full force. PJ Mercanti, president of Hamilton 100, the group that is looking to bring the Commonwealth Games here in 2030. PJ, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Oh, my pleasure, Scott. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let us bring in our good friend Bubba O'Neill from CHCH TV Sports, who just finished doing his job, well, part of his job. He's got another part of his job to do tonight, but he is here now. Let us get to the story du jour, why I brought you on here. Because a story moved at uh, early, well, mid this afternoon. Canadian press moved a story that says, here's the lead to it. Once again, the CFL will not get an interest-free loan from the federal government. It uh, goes on to say they've been talking. They lost CF, The CFL lost tens of millions of dollars last year. They went way overboard. They asked, if you remember, everyone remembers that Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner, asked for $150 million, which he sounds like he got laughed out of the Parliament Hill. But... They've gone back and are looking for a loan. No. 
And Bobby, I can only come to one of two conclusions on this one. Because the, the federal government has already announced it's going to be spending like $100 billion in its budget on stimulus programs. And yet you can't squeeze a loan for 20 or $25 million out. Either the federal government, the liberals have decided there are no votes in the CFL because the strength of the CFL is out west where nobody votes liberal anyway. Or Randy Ambrosi is the worst negotiator in history that he can't get something from the federal government. Or maybe there's a third option I'm just not thinking of. Well, the third option, in my opinion, is, is, is common sense. Um, <clears throat> you and I make a living, off, you know, for the most part, off sports. You love sports. I love sports. Um, I live and die sports. Unfortunately, there are times I go to bed listening to sports. <laughs> I wake up listening to sports. So, uh, and, and on top of that, we work in Hamilton. We adore the Tiger Cats. I mean, even though we're, we're, we're taught to be neutral, we can't help but cheer for them. But here's the situation, Scott. This is a different world we live in right now with a complicated, complicated matter, you know, called the, the pandemic, the, the coronavirus, whatever you all want to call it, call it. We've never been through anything like this. This causes our government to do things that, you know, maybe they would never do or, or it, it, there's a focus on the community and we're we're supposedly on the tail end of it, but we're really not. We're we're in this third wave, which is worse than the second or first or first wave. You, the money they're looking for, needs to go elsewhere. I and, don't and, disagree uh, with that, but uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. You know, look, look. You mean I, I I can't remember the exact numbers, but please correct me if I, if if you know them exactly. Air Canada lost somewhere in the range of ten to six billion, six to ten billion dollars. That's an essential service. People need to travel. People need to get from one side of the country, or or even take a vacation. You know, we just they just finished putting together a deal, or you know, a, a, I guess a pseudo loan for them. And now I think they're working out something with WestJet and some of the other smaller carriers. Like the list, the the list of important people that. Grants or loans or whatever is about on the list of 55 right now. And I agree with that. Okay. And I agree with you. Uh, I, I do agree with you that, that, you know, when you, when you balance everything in the wash, the CFL is, and any sports league is down near the bottom because it's not essential, but I've got two issues with that. The first one is this is still a business. So you're right. Air Canada just this week. It was announced Ottawa is going to give it $5.9 billion in low interest loans to try and get through this. And there are thousands of jobs. And as you said, all those reasons, but there are lots and lots of jobs in the CFL. And here's my point. The federal government is throwing, as I said, a hundred billion money is going to be spent Baba, on stuff. We don't even know where it's going. They're just throwing, they're taking a bazooka and shooting money everywhere and you can't find twenty million. Uh, again, I'm with you. No, that, I, I, that in the grand 30, scheme of is, things, is that's not, twenty million. Not, we don't need. Is it not thirty million? I was told it was 30 well, million twenty thirty. Okay, out of a hundred no, billion dollars, it becomes small potatoes. We can't do that right now. And say twenty. You know, it's ten. It's twenty. It's thirty. We can't. Right? Like it's not important. It's it's not as we if we've learned anything in this pandemic. I, at least I've learned that sports right now isn't as important as I used to think it is. It's much lower. We, people will move. You know, if they shut down every sport, like we've seen it happen, the world went on. 
And yes, there are jobs affixed to the CFL. In fact, many of them have already been lost. There's teams, you know, I don't think so much the Tiger Cats, but mostly other teams in the league have, have, have rendered jobs useless or you know, laid people off. Um, but I don't think it's enough jobs. I mean, Air Canada, I believe 20,000 people lost their jobs. You've got to get those places up and going. And it's not well, again, that important. Again, I, I don't disagree with the principle. And I, I, I mean, I am someone who is a fiscal conservative. Anyone who listens to this show regularly knows that I am a fiscal conservative. Well, then so it's I'm not. Common sense. Yeah, and I agree with that. I agree with that. And so my point, though, here, Bubba, is this. I will, when the federal budget comes out, I think it's April the 19th. No, it's got to be late. Anyway, maybe the 19th. In the next few days, we're going to have a federal budget. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you that out of that $100 billion of stimulus they're going to be spending, Mm -hmm. there is going to be hundreds of millions that you could look at and say, well, that's not necessary. And that doesn't have to happen. And this is not really needed. But they're throwing it out there because it helps to gather votes as well as other things. And so I'm, I would love to have, uh, I, I'm in agreement with you about the CFL. If we look at the rest of the federal budget and say, all right, before we blow all this money, let's take a sharp pencil to it and cut it back. But if you're, if the government has decided it's going to just spray money everywhere, but, but it seems no, odd even, that it's not going to spray you here. You haven't even heard the budget yet. Like you're, you're speaking like it would be a normal budget. This is a this is going to be a different budget than maybe we've ever seen, and it should be about recovery, and it should be about recovery of, you know, important necessities of life in this. Oh, country. absolutely, hundred percent. And then and you know what? And if it's a little bit more than you know than maybe I like or you like or whatever, I'm okay with that this time, right? You also have to look at this, and I mean this with the deepest of hearts. And we're lucky here in Hamilton. I've said it a thousand times. Whether you like the Tiger Cats organization or not, not just saying you, anyone out there listening to this, or, or you like the win-loss record, or you like the people who are working in the organization, we're lucky to have an owner like we do in Bob Young. Right? We're very, very fortunate here. But at the end of the day, should the government be giving whatever, $30 million to a company that continually, year after year after year, has proven that it's not a sustainable business. That is a great point. Now, one one clarification, because as the story from Canadian Press says, this would not be a $30 million or $20 million or whatever it is grant. It would be a loan that would have to be paid back, assuming they would ever pay it back. We don't know that. But once again, I mean, I, I, I agree with everything you've said to a point about all the, we have to help companies recover and, you know, Air Canada and all this stuff. But we've already heard ahead of time that much of the $100 billion that's going into this federal budget money is into new programming, into new services and new things. It's not about recovery. It's about using the opportunity to to sort of build a new society in some ways. And I'm, I'm all for the recovery. I'm all for the recovery. Mm-hmm. I'm all for the recovery. But if you're going to say that, well, this is our opportunity to now spend billions and billions and billions on new things that we didn't vote on that this was not part of the platform of the party when this thing happened but the pandemic changed everything scott and you know what maybe we do need new ways of doing things we knew you know it's given an opportunity for many of us in our personal lives in our business lives to understand new ways of new approaches new ways of doing things new ways to streamline 
all of this. And if this is what the government's thinking of, of you know, of you know what, we've been doing the same thing, you know, knocking our heads for you know budget after budget, and now the pandemic has taught us that you know what, we don't need this or we don't need that or we need to streamline or we need to you know new ways of doing things because now this is 2020 and not 1970. As you know, as we were talking about the Beatles not so long ago, yep. I'm okay with it. And like I said, and to our to our you know to our actual sports conversation, the CFL has proven time and time again. And now, <clears throat> now if I'm the government, and I mean, and of course they're talking to a lot of people. They know what's going on. You already have the the, the Rock and and Garcia and this Redbird Capital. Like that are in, looking to maybe invest in With the, the XFL, maybe on the XFL and all this that's going on right now, which which in many ways I don't know. I'm not Randy Ambrosi, but boy, from what we're hearing, it a merger seems pretty imminent, right? And you're talking about this Redbird Capital that got a whole lot of money. So if you want this league to be sustainable, why don't we let that? Why don't we let that American company take care of this league and get it back on its feet, and not our not our tax dollars for a league that again. It's proven time and time again that it can't take care of itself. I, you know, you're 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 singing a sensible song, and and if this was taken in the context that there was not tens of billions of dollars more than we expected about to be spent, I would say I agree with you wholeheartedly. I agree, but anyway, let me go back to one other point though. I believe wholeheartedly. I believe so thoroughly that if. The if Toronto and Montreal were the beating heartbeat of the CFL, if the CFL was the event in those cities, the federal government absolutely would have found the money to do this. And, and despite and, everything and we've said they, before, as they should, because then you have the, the the two biggest markets in the country making this a strong league. But unfortunately, we're hearing it's Steve. Steve, sorry, I'm hearing that and i you know I, these are sources and people that have a lot of buzz that's going on right now that maple leaf sports and entertainment don't even care about the argos right now right they don't care if they sink or swim in fact there are there are people out there that are actually saying that that company is trying to bury the cfl and that they weren't even interested in playing a season last year right so if I'm, if, I, if I'm the government and I've got my feelers everywhere and I'm hearing this, and, and the two biggest markets in, this, in, in the country, or at least in the country, that, you know what, again, if these, if these cities were sustainable and, and were good teams economically, you know, that, that could probably, you know, uh, support the league and were interested in a good future of the Canadian game, well, yeah, maybe I would be as a government all over it. But they're not. But it's a but that's a political thing because that's where the liberals are no, popular. That's where they feel they need to get the it's votes. Real. And so if Toronto and it's Montreal, real. what's that? It's real, Scott. Well, we of course a, it's we real. We have a company, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. We, in fact, look at this. What happened yesterday? Showing you how much they don't even care about the Argonauts. They're one of the oldest franchises in in sports. You know, they ran that Toronto 10th anniversary thing at, at TSN 1050. For people that don't know, the TSN 1050, an opposing radio station, all sports radio station in Toronto, ran a, a happy 10th anniversary to themselves and showed pictures of every team in Toronto, Toronto FC, the Maple Leafs, the Raptors, the Blue Jays, who is a Rogers property. 
and didn't even, and they put Tom Brady in there. They didn't even yeah. include the Argonauts. That nope. was that was a stunningly uh, tone deaf ad that I don't know how that gets out the door without someone saying, "Wait a second here, you know this is the, we show these games on our network. <laughs> how do we not have this in our ad?" I get I get all that I get all that. I look at I just look at the CFL now and I say I don't know if you can't get a loan, not even a grant, if you can't get a loan from the government. And who knows what's going to happen with this XFL thing. And we still don't have everybody injected and we still have COVID flying around. Baba, I don't see, I don't feel a whole lot of optimism that there's going to be a season this year, unless something changes really fast. I I just, I don't see the reason to feel optimistic. Well, by my count here, the middle of, by the, I mean, again, I don't think I ever got a, maybe I did and I just can't find it, but I believe it was the 16th, is the weekend in May the 16th, let me just quick check in a calendar, Uh, I got one right here, May, I would say that May 15th to the 16th, yes, would be the opening of training camp for most teams in the CFL, and maybe date back two or three days for the opening of rookie camp. Right? That's May, we'll say May 13th, 14th, 15th. Today is one, basically one month away from training camp. And I've heard nothing from this commissioner. Again, we talk about a responsible company that's run in a responsible way. I have heard nothing from the commissioner and, and that this season is going to be delayed because there is no possible way training camp can start in a month. Especially with well, players no. having to do have to do American players having to do a fourteen day quarantine. Why? Right. And we're in a stay at home order right now, so you right. can't even come and, here now yeah. to get into the quarantine. Exactly, we're in that as well too. Why haven't I heard from the commissioner? Right, and this is again, if I'm looking at the Canadian government, federal government, whether I'm the Liberals, the NDP, or or, or the Conservatives, is this a responsible company being run in a spot in, in a responsible way? You want thirty million dollars from me uh, as you know, and let's be honest. The, the, a year ago, they were looking for big money and and trying to pay it back by saying we'll do public appearances for you. That's a joke. I think last year. Here, I'll say this for absolutely certain. I think that last year's attempts, from what we've learned about it anyway, and you know, we weren't behind the door, so we don't know. But from everything we've heard, last year's attempt to try and get money from the federal government was such a hash. That you went in asking for 150 million as a give, not even as a as a as a loan or as a, a you know, and then you know again you come up with this thing where our players will do personal appearances to pay it off. Well, okay, that's going to work in certain parts of the country, but certainly not in a lot of other parts. It was it was such a mess, and I think that that kind of in a lot of ways may have set the table for where they are right now. We don't know, but that sure. you put a taste in people's mouths about what you're all about. It, you got to work hard to change that flavor. But you have to also prove that you're a sustainable business. You operate as a business. The Tiger Cats operate as a business. I would, I, I would not say the same about the league as a whole. The Argonauts, sorry, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Toronto Raptors, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, the Toronto Blue Jays, they operate as a business with a bottom line and and they operate such with with uh, in some ways shareholders to to please they operate that way the canadian football league has been looking for handouts for how long scott not just don't let's not let's not even talk about the pandemic how long have they been looking for help 
How many, I don't know how long they've been looking for help, but I can tell you how long they've had financial problems or, or how long we can go back and find teams that were struggling. We're going back probably there, to the early 80s. There are many, I mean, there are many people that are listening to us right now. I couldn't give you the year right now, but I know I have seen the visuals of a former CHCH sportscaster, Paul Hendrick, uh, hosting a, a, a telethon to keep the Tiger Cats alive when we had poor management in the city. Yeah, it's um, it, it is an interesting one. It's uh, we'll see where this thing goes because, you know, if th- the difficult part if you're a CFL fan is if you don't get some sort of loan from the government, that means you're going to have to do one of two things. If you don't have the cash in front, you're going to have to have a season without fans and absorb more losses on top of what they lost last which, year, which, which in some reports was do. up to eighty million bucks. Which right? They can't do. They can't. They can't right? have or, without fans. Or you have no season and you wait until things get cleared up or you you start when everyone is inoculated, but that could be who knows when. I mean, the, uh, without some form of cash infusion, whether a loan or a grant or something, it just, it, it seems pretty bleak. It, it really seems pretty, pretty bleak. And I, I, maybe there's a miraculous answer out there, but I haven't heard it yet. The miraculous answer is Redbird Capital and the XFL. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's it. It's happening. And maybe that's it. Yep. I, I, I can't. That... I can't hide from this any longer. And, and you know what? No one loves. I mean, I can't. I don't want to be that boastful, but I, I'm one of the one of the people that's in in the corner for Canadian football and the three down game and the big big field and the big end zones and the crazy rules that we have and the rouge. I'm all for it, but I've come to the reality that we've hit a wall here. And it's either what we have. It's either that we have teams like the Tiger Cats and the Rough Riders, and and I don't know what it's going to look like, and I don't know how much the 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 commissioner or whatever. I, I mean, do I agree? With, I I never thought it would have to come down to this, but we can't just have a league that's you know knocking on the government's door. Uh, I need thirty million. I promise to pay you back. Maybe. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH Sports. Thanks for taking time today. Great conversation. Appreciate it. Hey, always fun there, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.